Hello and welcome back to the Rough Trade Edit podcast. This week we are sharing my recent chat with the one and only Mr Jarvis Cocker ahead of the release of his new album with Jarvis, Beyond the Pale, which arrives this Friday the 17th of July. Jarvis discusses how a gig in Iceland kicked off an evolution of music, how collaboration fuels his desire to keep learning and evolving and how an alive album is somewhat bittersweet during the current circumstances. This was such a treat for me to record. Personally, I can't deny that Yorkshire accent to kind of lull me into a sincere sense of calm. I really can't. But we have some new edit albums that have recently hit the racks, which are on the agenda next. Look out for that Jarvis interview coming up a little later on but we are kicking off this week with New Zealand sweethearts the Beths so following their 2018 runaway debut Future Me Hates Me Liz and the band return with their second album Jump Rope Gazers and it's another one to fall in love with instantly it's got rousing indie anthems and a whole bundle of emotion like many many bands the Beths success has seen them grapple with the difficulties around touring and being away from home. I recently spoke with Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever about that back in June. Uh, their recent album has similar themes. But these songs that the Beths have put out consider these themes of being away from home alongside anxiety and also self-doubt. It's a really heartfelt record and through the struggles you cannot doubt the passion and love for what they do. Um, so here's a little taste of you. This is the title track, Jump Rope Gazers. Next up, and we have the return of Mike Skinner, the 12-track mixtape, None of Us Are Getting Out of This Life Alive, marking the street's first album in nearly a decade. And it features collaborations galore. I'm talking Idols, Tame Impala, Jesse James Solomon, Miss Banks, Chris Lorenzo, and many, many more. In fact, every song features a different collaborator, um, leading Mike to claim it's really just a rap duets album. But I would say it's so, so much more than that. Of course, it's eclectic, it's rich in gritty commentary, and it reveals Mike Skinner's evolution in utterly glorious form. Here's You Cannot Afford Me, Feet Miss Banks. Now, why are you so on me, mate? Why even bother? See, you wanna fuck, trying to push a lot. Now, I take you down and you're looking stuck. You're still at your mum's and a total bum, but you want the bookie, you can't get a crumb. Now, I ain't gonna allow you, mate. Not even a little. I'm from MS, babes. You got a better chance at Lidl's. Ah. If you don't know how much I am worth, then you can't afford me. If you don't know how much I am worth, then you can't afford me. So next up we have Dream Wife with their brand new record, So When You Gonna, which is a wholly confident and utterly engrossing record from a band firmly at the helm of their own creative calling. It was produced, mixed and engineered entirely by a female recording team, Raquel, Bella and Alice are setting the bar and challenging the quite incredible gender divide that exists in music production. They also bagged a top 20 UK album with this one. I think they fell in at around number 18, which is an incredible achievement from a band on an independent label. They have certainly 
Uh, they are certainly, I should say, an inspiration and we could not be prouder that they are our Album of the Month champions for July. It's a total kick-ass record, this. I encourage everyone to go buy it. We even have a Rough Trade exclusive vinyl edition on green and yellow split vinyl, which is super juicy. So, yeah, without further ado, here's a little snippet of Dream Wife and the title track, So When You Gonna. Next, and Laura Marling has a new home in Partisan Records and the home for her seventh album, The Exquisite Song for Our Daughter. Um, it's a balm for the soul, this, and another brilliant record by an artist whose musical output is rarely anything other than intimate and entirely gorgeous. Here, Laura addresses an imaginary daughter through song. It's absolutely spellbinding stuff. So yeah, check out this one from the album. This is my favourite. This is Alexandra. All a little knows Nothing left to lose What kind of woman Gets to love That was Laura Marling and that wraps our edit picks for this week. Coming up next, I caught up with the wonderful Jarvis Cocker a month or so out from the release of his brand new album Jarvis Beyond the Pale, which is out this Friday. We are so thrilled to have a Rough Trade exclusive edition of the record pressed on glow in the dark vinyl, no less. Big thanks to Jarvis for this one. You can also catch him, I must say this, on our first ever live and interactive Q&A which is streaming on Wednesday, the 22nd of July. Tickets are available now at roughtrade.com. At the moment, it is UK only, I'm afraid. So that is just for UK only customers to access. Um, thank you so, so much for listening. I hope you're all doing all right out there. Um, here's Jarvis and I will catch you very, very soon. So Jarvis Cocker, welcome to the Rough Trade Edit podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. We've just been discussing sort of briefly how we've been and what we've been up to. Um, I'm sure we could easily spend this entire conversation discussing the last kind of 12 weeks, the ups and downs, the back and forths, the kind of highs and lows. There's so much going on in the world right now. It's It's quite an overwhelming time, I think. But I just wanted to start off and ask how you were personally doing and how you're kind of feeling at this moment in time? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a moment in time that that people are going to be talking about for years and years and years to come. Mm. Because it's like, I think it'll take a bit of time for us to, to find out what it means. But I think if you, you know, putting the whole world on pause for two months, um, it's got to have an effect. I mean, you know, 
I can't remember a time like that in my lifetime, and yeah. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and so, so I think all across the generations, especially, I think it must be weird. I've been thinking about it from a, a different perspective because I'm talking to you from Paris at the moment, and um, you know, my son's here and he's 17, and and to to be locked down at that age must be weird because it's like at the time when you you think you know I want to. I'm almost going to go out into the world and live my own life now. And then yeah. it's like, oh, well, actually, there's no world to go and have a life in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a weird one, you know. So I think I think it is going to... Uh, I think it's just you, you can't help but reevaluate your life because everybody's done that, you know, because the normal things have been taken away. And so then you find out what you miss. And sometimes the things that you miss might not be the things that you expect. Yeah. And I think... You know, one of the positive things to come out of it is that people have really realised that they miss other people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that thing of not being able to socialise in the ways that you take it for granted so long. So, you know, without wanting to get all corny and start thinking, people who need people <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, you know, I think that, that could be quite a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I definitely hear you where you say you miss people um, sort of more and maybe people that you wouldn't normally miss not in a in a bad way but just I suppose you you have more time to reflect and think about who who means what to you and and those sort of things it's definitely a period of reflection for sure yeah and it, yeah and even just casual things like you know somebody that might work in a cafe that you go to or something like yeah. that do you know what I mean like so things where you would only probably only ever say like hello yeah or yeah. whatever but you realize that just the, all those little Small interactions add up. You know, yeah. it's, it's part of being part of a society and a community and stuff. Yeah, definitely. You sort of realize how much you take for granted the kind of mundane daily life in a way. It's um, mm. it's funny. Um, of course, your album Beyond the Pale with your band Jarvis is released this July on Rough Trade Records. It's I think it was originally due in May, then it went back to September, I believe, before coming forward again to. July, which is brilliant, because obviously we get it sooner than we thought. Um, you've said of the record, this is not a live album, it is an alive album. I think referring to its inception and construction from a series of live recordings that you did. I wondered if we could rewind to the Sigur Ross gig in 2017, where I think um, your kind of story starts with this record. And I wondered if you could take us through how this project came about from, from kind of that point. Sure, yeah. I mean, I got invited to play this show. It was right, like you say, right at the end of 2017. Sigur Rós were doing a festival in Reykjavik in Iceland yeah. in this really super modern, like, opera house place. It sounded really interesting. But I was about to turn it down because I didn't have a band at that time. And I just, it wasn't long after I'd done the Room 29 album with Gonzalez, but he couldn't do it because he was doing his own show in Cologne in Germany. So, I was just about to turn it down, and then I just thought, no, why don't I just say yes? I've got some, you know, I had some songs that I've been working on, some of them for ages, with varying degrees of success. Mm -hmm. I just thought, well, maybe this is what I need to make me finish these songs off. And, uh, and as soon as I did that, and, and um, everything started happening, I was lucky because I'd, I'd worked with Seraphina and, uh, before I'd, I'd produced a record for Serafina Steer a couple of few years ago. 
And so she came along and she brought Emma, who was in her band as well. And then I managed to get the rhythm section, Adam and Andrew. I'd played with them at the uh, Scott Walker prom a few years before. Um, so I managed to get the band together. And then, of course, as soon as we started working on the songs with the band, they started sounding about a million times better. And then I just felt a bit stupid <laughs> that I hadn't tried it before, you know. But I think, I don't know, maybe just because I was in a... You know, I've been in a band since I was like 14. That was when Pulp first started off. Yeah. And maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I just, for some reason it didn't occur to me. Uh, so anyway, we started, I suppose, slightly unusually. Usually what will happen is a band, you know, will release a record and then they'll play it. But for this, we decided that we were going to try and work on these songs and play them to people. And then when we thought that, they sounded good, then we would decide to record them. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit more like the way it is when you start off, you know, like what, what I remember from my first early days in a band, you know, you, like, you rehearse around at your mother's in the living room or whatever, and then you wait until you've got some songs that you think are okay, and then you dare to go and play them to mm -hmm. other people. Yeah. And then, you know, and then some songs go down well and some songs don't, and then eventually that's what that's how you kind of get a set and eventually an album together. Um, so it was a bit like going back to that year zero approach. And we played the songs. We did a, we did a tour after that thing in Iceland. Then we did a, a tour in the UK on very, very small venues because I realised that, you know, it's quite a big ask to ask people to come along and listen to mainly unfamiliar material. Mm. We did put a couple of slightly known songs in there as well. Um, and we did that for a bit. And we were recording the shows all the time, just really, I thought at the time, just to just to kind of um, monitor our progress, I suppose, see how they were developing. Um, and there was one particular show we did in a cave up in Castleton, which is quite near Sheffield. And that was a really good show, and I was really happy with some of the versions of the songs. And then... Um, it was Jeff Barrow, actually. Jeff Barrow, you know, of Portishead and yeah. now in more modern days, Beak. Um, he saw us play a show in America at the Desert Days Festival. And he and uh, I told him that we'd be re recording the shows. And he said, well, why don't you just use that as the as your recording, as the mm -hmm. basis? And I thought, well, can you do that? Is that legal? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and he put me in touch with somebody Craig Sylvie, who ended up mixing the album. And that was amazing because, you know, all through my career, the thing of going into a studio has always been, not a phobia, but something that I've always got a bit nervous about because a studio can sometimes suck the life out of the songs because you, you go in there and then suddenly it's like you're looking at it all through a microscope and you can get a bit too kind of um, overthink things. And yeah. so the... The, the, this idea that we might have recorded it like accidentally without really noticing was like amazing. It was like a mind blowing thing. So, uh, so basically, that's yes, that's how. Not every song on the record was done like that, but like the song "Must I Evolve" that came from the cave. Yeah. And there's another one that came from the cave. Uh, Sometimes I am Pharaoh, and then another one we recorded at um, at the Primavera Festival in Barcelona. Wow. So that was kind of, were they like the first three songs then that sort of formed the record? 
as to how we would where we see it now um well that was well certainly must i evolve was the first one to be finished and i was really happy with the way that came out because you know i don't really like live records mm. my my memory of live records is like from when i was younger like bands would just put them out when they just couldn't and had time to write any new songs. <laughs> they would just put them out. It was always seen as a bit of a rip-off, you know. Yeah. And they usually would sound pretty bad. Yeah. So I didn't want to, I didn't want it to be like that, obviously. But so it really, what you hear on the record is is mainly the kind of instrumental bits. All the all the vocals had to be redone because just practically a microphone on the stage will just pick up all the extraneous noise that's going on. So it wasn't really good enough quality. So. So um, yeah, so I, that's why I say it's not a live record; it's it's an alive record because I do think that through doing it that way, we kind of captured the songs w- w- with light in them because they were still being formed at the time when we recorded them. And it's a different thing, you know, because we were doing this thing of trying to play them and convince an audience who hadn't heard them before that these were good songs. <laughs> you. you as, as time goes on, you know, you, you do all these, you try different approaches, and the song ends up having a shape that's more like a, a natural, organic shape because it's evolved in live performance rather than normally what you do is sit in front of a computer and go, oh, well, well, I've that going for four times around, and then that's had that yeah. bit going for two times around, and then, you know, and, and you end up with a very, it's like Lego. Yeah. You end up with a, but this is more like a, a, a tree sprouted. And that just grew its branches wherever wherever they wanted to go. Did you find that that process was more, or allowed for more collaboration between you and your band members as opposed to, as you say, doing it in a in a Lego block way? Yeah, totally. Because because um, well, for a start, like Seraphina and Emma are more from a, a background, a musical background where you know improvisation plays quite a big part in it. So mm. so. They would kind of vary what they played from night to night, anyway, and um, and yeah, I mean, and everybody's just the thing is that when you play live, um, you've got no time to be self-conscious about what you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many things going on. You're in the heat of the moment. You might trip over a cable. You you know, you're looking at the audience, seeing you know what what they're up to. So you're just trying to get to the end of the song and do it as well as you can. You, you you can't get too self-conscious about your performance. And also, you know, I, I can't get too self-conscious about listening to what everybody else is doing. I'm just like listening to the whole thing yeah, and trying to get into it. You know, that's the main thing for live performance. It's, it's just that you try and get the atmosphere going or you get the spirit of something going. And, and again, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I hope we've managed to do on the record. It is kind of catches the spirit of the song, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, the other thing that's kind of occurred to me as I've been talking about the record during this lockdown time is that it's kind of weird because, you know, you just couldn't make a record like that now because no. there's no concerts, you know. We're not allowed to go to shows. We're not allowed to go on stage and play no. to people. So it's kind of... Uh, I'm really kind of glad that we stumbled upon that way of doing it because 
who knows when it's it's going to be possible to do that again. Yeah, I was going to ask you actually, you must feel very fortunate to have been able to create it before, of course, all this happened. Because well, yeah, because I could, yeah, yeah, because there were really small shows with no barrier. I, I hate crowd barriers. Mm. You know, having played festivals and things where you know. You could hardly even see the first member of the audience because the crowd barrier is so far away. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, the point of a live show is that thing that it's you like collaborating with an audience. You know, and, and mm. if you know, I like those shows where people are right up to the edge of the stage. They put the bags and the coats down. I can see. You know, I like to look at what clothes people have brought with them. Or, <laughs> Sometimes I even have a look at what they've got in their handbag or whatever, you know. It's just it's all part of the thing of, of it being like, a, yeah, but it, it, a concert is something that you make happen together, you and the audience, you know, like they give you some kind of reaction back and then you react to that and then it keeps going. It's like a, it's like a chemical reaction, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you'd use this approach again or do you feel like it's maybe a one-time thing that, is special to this particular album? No, I think, you know, I think it would be daft not to keep doing it. Mm. Um, and that was what we were planning. You know, like you said before, we, originally this record was supposed to come out on the 1st of May and we was going to play it. We were playing at the Rough Trade shop, in fact. Yeah. That was the launch of it, at the Rough Trade East thing. And then we were off playing around the country. And what we were planning on doing was to have a couple of new songs that we were working on in the same way in the set. And hopefully by the end of the tour, they'd be ready to record, you know? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, when we do play again, we will, we will do that. Uh, Cause it's, it would be, yeah, it would be silly not to do that. having kind of discovered it as a, as a good way of developing stuff. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned earlier about, um, obviously when you formed, Jarvis the band and how it reflects a lot on when you first formed a band when you were 14 do you in forming Jarvis is it kind of brought back a lot of memories of you do you feel like you've really missed that kind of band dynamic if you discovered anything new in the way that a band works at all yeah I've learned to shut up <laughs> I mean not completely but to shut up more um I mean, maybe the band would laugh if they heard that because you'd probably think I'm still a bit of a blabbermouth or whatever. <laughs> but I, I, I did listen back, you know, I, I don't listen back to music that I've made in the past that much, but um, there was like a remastered version of uh, of the His and Hers album, the Pulp album. Mm. Uh, I think it was his 25th anniversary like last year or something. So I went along to the remastering um session and listened to it and I thought it listened up I thought it sounded okay but then I just uh, there was at one point where I, I think it was a, I can't remember which song it was but I was listening I was thinking oh god I, I wish I would just shut up occasionally so you could hear the band in the background <laughs> um, and I think I don't know so I hope with this band because they're pretty accomplished musically you know uh, with, yeah. Not in a muso way, but in, in you know in an interesting way, mm. and so I, I'm trying to learn to just like give a bit of space uh, because, um, well, it's like I don't know, it's like a conversation. It, I mean, yeah. Well, 
I'm probably doing it in this conversation. I apologise for it. Where <laughs> one person does all the talking, then it gets a bit more boring. But um, do you know what I mean? Um, so, so I think, uh, and maybe I've learned that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's um, that's an important. You know, it's important to keep learning stuff about how you make music. You, if you're not careful, you can get set in your ways. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the other thing that's good about having a band is that once you're playing music with other people, no one person is in control of it. You know, everybody's yeah. putting that bit in and really you can't put your finger on exactly where it came from. It, it's it's a team effort. And mm. So it, it's like a smaller version of what I was talking about of playing to an audience as well, that once you're playing it in front of a crowd, then they're part of it as well you know yeah definitely I guess it's that thing as well isn't it where you talked about getting set in your ways you've personally done so many different projects in your career I guess it constantly gives you these new motivators for continuing to make music and learn new things and try something different and experiment rather than just kind of sticking to maybe what some would say is safe yeah I mean I think there's a there's a lyric on one of the songs uh, there's a song called Am I Missing Something, which actually was the first, that's the oldest song on the record. Mm. Um, but there's a line in that that says, do something new or do something else. And I kind of said that to myself a few times, you know, mm. that like, you know, I've been around, I've been around a few years, I have. <laughs> and uh, and so I've done a lot of stuff. So you need, you need to check that you're not just repeating yourself because that would just, be boring and also yeah just maybe devalue what you've done if you had just ended up doing pay limitations of it yeah so i think that you know i think i think people who listen to this record will instantly know that i'm involved in it because it's you know i haven't changed my voice i'm not suddenly singing really high or something (laughs) like that yeah so they'll they'll recognize it but hopefully uh, so i think you know you need that because you know, we're all stuck with ourselves, and and really, what what um, what an artistic career is about is about kind of you know exploring yourself as well as exploring the world around you. You have to mm-hmm. explore yourself and your your attitude to it. Yeah. And so, I think it's always recognised being the same person, but hopefully, you're managing to show a, a different aspect. Yeah, definitely. Um, during lockdown, you've been live streaming domestic discos online and you've also been reading some bedtime stories on Sunday evenings both of which have been really brilliant the stories in particular I've literally adored it's great thank you thank Um, you very much do you find it easy to engage and connect with fans online is that quite a a weird thing to adjust to obviously from the pulp days or do you find it quite fun well, that's why I did the domestic disco things on on Instagram Live because what how that came about was my partner um, Kim. She was she was listening to this guy in America who was DJing from his garage. Uh, this guy called J Lube sixty four. He stopped now because um, he, I think he had a construction firm or something, so he couldn't go out and build houses anymore because of the lockdown. So he decided yeah. to DJ. Okay. He's kind of an, a surfer guy as well. And, and he was just doing it from his garage. And kind of, what I, she was listening to, and I was thinking, he was playing some good music. And then I, when I watched it, I was impressed with this thing that, like, 
you know, people can send comments whilst it's whilst he's playing a record and say whether they yeah. like it or not and stuff. And and because of this thing we've been talking about, you know, that live performances aren't possible at the moment. Mm. This seemed to me like the nearest to a live performance that I'd seen up to that point, you know, yeah. where, you know, people could comment in real time and also as well as commenting to him, they could kind of talk to each other as well. So it really felt like, you know, a, a bit of a, a crowd having a laugh together or whatever. So yeah. so I, I, just, I just decided to, to copy it. So um, that, that ended up... Well, it, it, I got some help from some technical people at the beggar's office and, uh, on how to plug things in. Some of the early discos um, were a bit of a shambles, technically. I think pe- people kind of liked that. Yeah. Although it was stressful for me. I did shout at various pieces of equipment that wouldn't work. <laughs> I managed to blow up two amplifiers, I think. So I was obviously doing something wrong. But bits of it did make it through, and people seemed to quite like it. And as I say, this thing that um, that you that I could see was I could say hello to people who were listening, uh, give them a shout out, whatever. But also, they could kind of start talking about things. I mean, the, the very last one was bizarre because everybody started discussing sausage rolls at some point, which. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but yeah. there was this big kind of online discussion of sausage rolls. But, uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, I, 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 I think that was... Everybody was looking for ways to find a release during the lockdown, I think, yeah. you know, because if you, I think we've all experienced that. If you sat in the house and you've got all this bad news coming in all the time and mm-hmm. all that stuff, there's, there's times when you just need to kind of turn your brain off and forget about that stuff. Yeah. And dancing is a good way to do that. If you put a record on nice and loud and just really get into it and dance to it, it's it's, it's such a relief. You know, you, you, you start to inhabit your body rather than just your head. Yeah. And we, we all need that. You know, like you, you were saying at the beginning of this conversation, you know, that, that people finding out things about what they miss and what, what's important to them. And I think that, that that's, you know, I've heard a lot of things... Um, I think music's, you know, become a bit more important. I, I've had friends saying that they feel like it's, they felt like lockdown felt like uh, when they were teenagers, when they used to listen to music in the yeah. bedroom yeah, and, and really get into it and really feel that it was showing them a, 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 like a, a window into a, a, the world that they wanted to live in, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I guess, you know, with those Tim Burgess listening session things, this idea that everybody puts the, the needle on the record or presses play at the same time and yeah. and has this collective experience. I mean, it's probably been a long time since a lot of people have listened to a whole record from start to finish mm. as well as much as anything else. And then um, yeah, music's always had that. I mean, that's, that's what I've always loved about it is that you put on a piece of music that you like and you melt, you know, your surroundings just melt away, you know, and, and you're just, you're just there in that moment listening to that thing. And yeah. you could, you know, and, and that's a magic, great thing about it. Yeah. If people have rediscovered that bit, I mean, that could be another of those famous silver linings. Oh, definitely. I really love the idea that there's, that this situation has kind of, not forced people, but allowed people to kind of reappreciate 
the, the I guess the smaller things in life but also the things that they maybe just thought were always there in the background but that they never I guess they never really maybe didn't really listen to music as much as they thought they'd heard it like they might have played the album through but you discover so much more when you can kind of shut out the noise you don't have to go anywhere not worrying about commuting like it's those little things I think that kind of reaffect the way that you that you hear things and and listen to music and what you take yeah from I it. think yeah I think you're right because it's the thing because it's a weird it's like a weird contradiction isn't it like it like that you know in recent years, music has become more, more ubiquitous or whatever. Like, you can't go into a shop without some music playing in the background. Yeah. So, so, so like, it's been surrounding us more. But in terms of us listening to it and, and paying attention to it, maybe we, we've become more lazy with that just mm. because we think, oh, yeah, well, I'm listening to music because I'm surrounded by it all day. But that's more like just wallpaper kind yeah. of thing, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right there. Yeah. I also thought it was really interesting that kind of in those first few weeks kind of supposedly streaming kind of dipped a bit which made me think well maybe people are as you say like putting the needle down or listening to cassettes or cds which is quite interesting given that it's 2020 and tech is so fast moving and such a huge part of people's lives so that was yeah well that's it i mean it, but it's like um it's, it's, I mean, I think, you know, new developments, people are always interested in but um, I think maybe people got more into the content rather than the method in which it was being delivered to them, mm. you know, and, and I think, you know, streaming, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I can't really pretend to be an authority on that because for some reason, I think it's just because I haven't paid for it. <laughs> I can't make Spotify really work properly, so. I can't choose what I listen to. It just like randomly just generates things and that just gets on my nerves. So. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think there is that thing with streaming that it's a bit like radio, but with nobody talking to you. And I know that DJs can be irritating sometimes, but at least it's another human being. Yeah. So I think that's why people start listening to the radio a bit. Yeah, definitely. Which is awesome. Um, Jarvis, thank you so much for catching up with us. Um, obviously, wish you all the very, very best with this record. We've actually got um, a really sexy glow in the dark vinyl edition. On yes, I've seen season. that one. I've seen that because that's part of the reason why the the the, um, the release came back forward because because uh, they've been made a very, oh, yeah. very efficient pressing plant in Germany had yeah. pressed them up because I thought maybe. Uh, they, you know, because of the lockdown, that that they just wouldn't have been made, and they were, you know, they were waiting to be pressed, but yeah. they were there, yeah. gathering dust. <laughs> so I think somebody's blowing the dust off, and they're there. But I've, I've seen one of the glow in the dark ones, and that's quite good. Yeah. Cool. Have you tried it out? Switch the lights off. Oh, ah, yeah. 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 I haven't actually. I've never seen a glow in the dark record. I'm very excited. Well, you have to. I well, you have to like either shine a torch on it or hold it up to a fairly bright light before yeah. you put it on the turntable and then put it on and then turn all the lights off. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it glows, it fades because as it needs light to keep charging it up. Yeah. God knows how it works. I don't know, but it <laughs> does. And it's impressive, yeah. Yeah. 
we're very excited to have that. Um, just to play us out, I wondered if you could pick a track from the album that we can kind of preview. Maybe it's your favourite from the record or one that has a particular story behind it. Um, well, I'll maybe just play the first track, Save the Whale, because that mentions the album title. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and weirdly enough, this one is the only one that wasn't done in the process that we talked about. This is the this was the last one track that we recorded for the record, and um, so I mean we did record it playing live in the studio, but we've never played it to an audience before. Yeah. So uh, I think that's why you'll notice when you listen to the song that I'm singing very very low. Okay. It's like, uh, and uh, I don't think I could have, I wouldn't have done that probably if I'd have done it live because it's, you get out of breath quite quickly if you sing that low. Yeah. But I just thought I'd give it a go and it seemed to fit with the kind of mood of the song. So, yes, if you listen to the song, it's probably the lowest pitched vocal I've ever done in my life, still discovering new things. <laughs> Amazing. Jarvis, thank you so, so much. And we will see you very, very soon. Yeah, well, I hope, I hope we'll be able to re, you know, rearrange the, the show at Rough Trade East. Definitely. Take your foot off the gas Because it's all downhill from here You are a manifestation of the universe Your form is unimportant Come over here Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do, so if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes. 